This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. And today's episode, I want to talk about I guess, how it feels to be a soccer player. Not necessarily a professional player, but just someone who loves to play soccer. Whether you play competitively or you play it at an amateur level among your friends or pickup games. So everyone who plays the game dreams and fantasizes of being a pro player. We all have or even continue to entertain these thoughts. But why not? So long as you don't actually think you're a World Cup winner, and trust me, I've met a ton of people who think you know they're the greatest player on the planet, and they only think that because, you know, they scored, like, one amazing goal last weekend at a pickup game. Like, you meet a lot of guys like that. Among all those who dream, there will be actors. Meaning, out of, let's say, a thousand people, a lucky few will actually make it to professionalism. Other than the money and fame, however, all players, including the pros and the amateur ones and those who are working to become professional, what we all have in common, other than the fact that we are all soccer players, is that we all model our game based on some great player out there. Meaning, we all have our idols and we all are influenced by these idols, by the way we play the game. So that being said, what unites all of us really is our, I guess, the influence of greater players before us. And what unites the generation before us is that they are all united by the influence of greater, greater players before them. And it keeps on going and going and going. So the format of this episode will be cut into two parts. So the first part, I'm just going to name my five uh, favorite players that influenced me when I was growing up. And also, I'll try to make a connection as to using the five I've named just as an arbitrary example. How do, let's say, an average Montreal soccer player might connect with those players? Because at the end of the day, a lot of these foreign soccer players are foreign. They're not from my country. I have no connection with them, culturally speaking. The only thing that connects us is soccer. And as someone who studies religion, I can't shake off the the parallels between soccer and religion that Christianity, a foreign religion from the Middle East, is all over the world. Why is that? Because Christianity was able to adapt into local cultures. Soccer does something quite similar that it's a working class sport that doesn't require a lot of money to play, but it's so simple and easy. All you need is is something that resembles a ball. That's all you really need to play the game. Other sports, it's a little more expensive. Like rugby, for example, it's a specific kind of ball you have to use and you can't really find that in nature unless you use a stone, which I don't think that's a smart idea. <laughs> and But yeah, that being said is, you know, soccer is just easy. I guess in a way, theologically speaking, Christianity was quite easy to just blend into different cultures. And as someone you know, has a master in this, I could, you know, I f- feel very confident saying that. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's, I, that's a parallel I see. So what I'm asking is, how does one make a connection with those players in the realm of soccer? If it's just soccer, that's great. But I want to see different angles and different avenues, you know. And that's the second part of this podcast. So the first part, I'm going to name my five players and how they've influenced me. And then the second part will be, how does one create such connection with those players outside of soccer or suspending soccer as a reason. So for everyone who plays soccer for fun or as a job, has had one or many idols that influenced their game. That being said, this episode is about the cult of heroes, meaning it's about the players that have greatly influenced 
I would say, I guess my my life or my generation, some of these players, you know, there are a ton of players out there that influence anyone for whatever reason. But I want to list some of um, the greatest players that have influenced the way I've played the game or the way I've approached the game. And I'm not alone, obviously. I'm not special. Everyone has had one or several players that shape the way they play. Like if you go to pick up soccer, you watch someone play, you can tell what kind of player has influenced the way they play the game. You can just see just the way they move, you know, there's certain things. So that being said, I'm going to establish one rule for this list that I'm, I'm going to give you. I'm not going to put Messi or Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm not going to put any of those two because I think it's too easy, too easy an argument. I mean, they're both greatest players. And also, I don't want to get into this debate of who's better, Messi or Ronaldo. I honestly don't care. I really don't care. I'm just glad that these two players played together at the top performance for as long as they have and that for 10 years or 9 years, they played against each other every year at El Clasico. So... I'm, I'm spoiled. As soccer fans, especially millennial soccer fans, we're spoiled when it comes to amazing talent on screen because we've seen it all. We've seen so many. Not not all, obviously, but we've seen so many of them within the last 10, 20, maybe even 30 years that there's been some incredible players that, you know, that made us, you know, that drip, you know, our jaws dropped because of these guys. So why cult of heroes? Why the word cult and heroes? Heroes is self-explanatory, but cult. Uh, well... Cult is actually not a bad word. A lot of people associate the word cult with bad words only because mainstream media has destroyed the word. Well, destroyed it. Well, made it unpopular, rather. Well, cult actually comes from the Latin word for cultus, which cultus means care. So you get words like agriculture, which means care of the land. Culture, I guess, uh, if I remember correctly, it really means like the care of the people or care of. It's Well, I mean, that's what culture is, is what people create. And Cult of Heroes, for me, these are the players I cared the most about. And these are also the players that have, as I said earlier, completely set the foundation of how I approach the game. Either listening to their interviews and to see the way they think or just purely based on performance. Most of these players come down really from for performance and also charisma and personality and so on. And not so much on philosophy of the game and how they approach it. I'm focused about the players who are just good players and they were just so much fun to watch. So yeah, that being said, my five, I decided to choose five, are Zidane, Raul, Gerard, Steven Gerard, Kaká, and Parkinson. This is in no particular order. These are just the players that I couldn't stop watching them. They were so much fun to watch, and just the way they did things, their creativity on and off the ball. I chose these five players. They influenced the way I play because it's just the way they approach the game and the way they play it, I find it beautiful, but not just beautiful, but it's efficient and effective. It reminds me that there is a level of artistry within the game. There are a ton of other players besides the five that I named that are perhaps more beautiful to watch, if you will. But that's what's great about soccer is that everyone has their own taste. Everyone has their own style. So everyone will have their own respective list that will be different and unique. And that's fine. That says more about you as a player or as someone who watches soccer. And it says more about your interests and your style or the things that attract you to soccer. But let's kick it off with Zidane. So for me, Zidane has been the prime model of how to be a soccer player, in my opinion. You know, I started playing soccer as a right back or a left back. I started playing a defense and then I moved up my way up to midfield and forward. But then even if I was playing midfield forward, I would play multiple positions. But what never changed was watching Zidane play. Even if I was playing defense, I watched Zidane play not so much how he would dribble. I mean, everyone loved to watch Zidane, the way he controlled the ball and dribbled. But it was the one thing I learned the most about him was when to pass, when to cross, and when to dribble. Because some people like to dribble for nonsensical reasons. They just dribble for the sake of dribbling. 
But what I love about playing Zidane is that when he dribbled, you can tell that there's a there's a problem solving process happening. That he's trying to find ways to get in, get into spaces, get the ball into empty spaces, past players. Every player thinks like that. Everyone who's good at dribbling, that's the way you should be thinking. And Zidane was the one that turned me to that way of thinking. Of I think the the one thing that I learned the most from Zidane is the elegance of the play. Just things will look elegant if you get your techniques right. That's the thing about Zidane I love the most is practice on your technique. Every, he's the most technical player that you could watch. Messi is also another one, but I'm not talking about him. But it's but Zidane. Just the techni- technicality of how he controls the ball and moves the ball, passes it, crosses it, shoots it, and the way he sees the game. Like the best example of watching Zidane play is the 2006 World Cup. France were underdogs. France was not supposed to get make it that far. Before the tournament, everyone said this France team is done. They're old. Galas, uh, Zidane, uh, Barthez, uh, uh, Ribéry was young. Malouda was like, eh. and Anelka was a troublemaker. Thierry Henry wasn't really scoring that tournament. And, and Mik- Mikalele was also old. You see, this is like an old team, and they made it to the final. And it what they did, well, this France team, rather, kind of uh, disproved was experience will get you far but charisma and the support of a nation will get you further and that's kind of what happened in france this was zidane's last dance his last competitive game his last professional game was a world cup final no one does that by the way that's like wow and yeah he had butts materassi and then they lose it but that's not the point <laughs> and it's if there's one thing i learned from that world cup was if an old zidane could defeat a 2006 Brazil, Spain, Portugal, whatever, or give Italy a hard time and score on Buffon at a, a cheeky Panenka uh, penalty against Buffon, the one, the greatest goalkeeper in soccer history. And uh, anyway, like, I encourage all of you go on YouTube, watch Zidane play in the 2006 World Cup. It's some you'll understand once you see him play. You're like, oh, that's how you play soccer. Like that's ever since I was a kid watching him play, I was like, I gotta do everything he does. I don't do a roulette as nice as he does, the spin move. I can't do it as nice as him because like, he's an expert in that. But, you know, you learn by watching these players and then you implement yourself in the, in your own game and you see how that works. And sometimes when it works, maybe that's your guy. Maybe you want to follow what he does. But sometimes there are certain things that Zidane could do you can't. And you know what? That's fine. There are other players out there you can model your game at after. Which brings me to the next player, Raul. I, I grew up being a Real Madrid fan because of players like Zidane. But also, when I learned about Zidane, what club he played at, which was Real Madrid, I realized that Real Madrid is the New York Yankees of world soccer. If it's not them, it's probably Manchester United. But Real Madrid, if you're a superstar or you're an up-and-coming superstar celebrity and you have high, not hard, high marketing potential, if you will, like Ronaldo was the best marketing thing that Real Madrid has ever bought. When you look into history of Real Madrid, you see all these superstars and these players these big name players world cup winners and so on but the one player that always stood out for me at real madrid was raul because raul was when you look at him unremarkable he doesn't he doesn't have the body of ronaldo doesn't have the speed of or quickness of messi or doesn't have you know doesn't have the flash or flair of like someone as young as mbappe or holland like it's it's he's kind of boring in, in in some ways like there's nothing flashy or exciting about him but that's for me is what made him so great is that he was or is in my opinion still Real Madrid's one of Real Madrid's greatest striker that they produced and he was kind of a mistake if, if you read up his story it's amazing he was at Atletico Madrid Youth Academy and then the Atletico Madrid 
dissolved the youth academy for financial reasons. And then Real Madrid took him to their youth academy. They raised him, essentially, or they, you know, cultivated him, if you will. And he's become one of the greatest strikers that Real Madrid has ever had. Rio Ferdinand even rated him as one of the hardest strikers that he had to defend. And the main reason why had nothing to do with him being fast or strong or a great dribbler. It had everything to do with his mental game. He just knew where empty spaces will open up. He just knew where to be and when to be there to get the perfect pass or to give the perfect pass. But just to receive the perfect pass. And he was such a good finisher. And he was very cool and calm in front of the goalie. He wasn't freaking out. He just knew that, okay, look at the keeper. Where is he? Place the place the shot. It was, that was always a vibe you get from Raul. Place the shot. Never rip it in. Just place it, place it, place it. And before Ronaldo beat his record, he had the highest goal-scoring record in Champions League history. But, you know, it's at that time, that was highly impressive for a player who was not the strongest, not the fastest, or nor, like, the best dribbler, if you will. But, like, despite those things that would technically go against him, he gave defenders a hard time. And I find that, I personally find that impressive. Like, whenever I played against non-Korean people, I find myself being oftentimes the weakest one. And to be honest, I'm okay with that. That's fine because I have other strengths that I rely on. But what helped me get used to that was watching Raul play and and his emphasis on visualizing the game, seeing the game unravel before it unravels, understanding how the game works and anticipate each movement. That part of the game is actually quite tough. That's quite tough because that requires a lot of experience and really great understanding of the game. Because remember, when you're playing the game, adrenaline's rushing people are screaming you know there's a lot of energy it the, the trickiest thing is try to keep calm and just you know play the game i mean at, even at the amateur level people say oh you're making it sound like such a big deal i know i am making it sound like such a big deal but that that's the reality that's true when you do play the game and if you're watching from the outside there's two different things happening and raul is a great example of just stay calm and lean to your strengths lean to your strengths okay next player steven gerrard I also like Liverpool. Okay, confession. I'm a Liverpool and Real Madrid fan. Do I care? I really don't because I love soccer first. If there's any if there's any club that I will get most emotionally upset about, it would probably be the Montreal Impact because like it's like my city, if you will. If you look at the history of Liverpool, they go in ebbs and flows. There are a couple of years where they're shit and a couple of years where they're great. A couple of years they're bad, a couple of years they're great. It's it's always ebbs and flow, but that's what makes Liverpool so much fun is the roller coaster ride. And when you look at players like Steven Gerrard, and when you see a Liverpool as an institution, or an institution, yeah, as an institution, let's be honest, in, in England, it is an institution, uh, culturally speaking. It's emotional. I think that's a good thing. That's the one thing I love about Steven Gerrard. He's a fantastic player. No one can hit the ball like he does. Uh, give him a free kick, you know? Uh, make him shoot from 30 yards. You want to see that. You want to see him ping that cross as well. He was He's the kind of midfielder we don't really see today anymore. Old school midfielder that work hard, that strong tackles, like good old English midfielders. You don't really see those anymore. And that's what I love about Gerard. It's not so much of this uh, high work rate, but he was the people's champion, if you will. If you see how scousers and Liver- people from Liverpool talk about Gerard, it's like, that's our guy. That's kind of the attitude you get. It's like, that's our guy. That's We made that. And there's a kind of, there's a level of pride that only Liverpudlians would get it. In Montreal, that's it's the same way that how Montrealers talk about Maurice Richard, the, the rocket. He's like, you know, he's a working-class French-Canadian guy, plays for the Canadians, number nine, becomes captain, greatest player in NHL history, one of the greatest players in NHL history. And if you're a Montrealer, that, that's a lot of pride, saying that 
if Maurice can make it up there, you can make it there too. Same thing with Liverpool. If Gerard can make it up there, you can make it up there. Now you have Trent Alexander-Arnold, Curtis Jones, all these other young Liverpool players from Liverpool that are coming through the system and playing for the first team. You know, it's great to see. Emotional, emotional, emotional. It's pride. It's identity. And I love that aspect of football. I find that very fascinating, as you probably could tell that already. My next player, also another midfielder. A lot of these players, are, you, could, you could tell, are all midfielders, except for Raul. It's uh, Ricardo Kaká. Ricardo Kaká, great nickname, Kaká. What I love about Kaká is that if you tell other soccer fans that you love Kaká, there's a, almost a level of respect you're like, you have good taste. Because watching Kaká play at his prime at AC Milan is ridiculous. This guy was so good. Him going around Madrid should have been icing on the cake, but, you know, he was in, he. He was the original Bale, if you will. Like, he was always injured. and But whenever he did play for Real Madrid, you are reminded why he's so good. Just like Zidane, great touch, great dribbling. You know, he had good speed. He could shoot. And the one thing I love about Kaká is that he was always positive, always smiling. You could just, you know, Brazilian. That's all it is. It's just like, oh, yeah, Brazilian stuff. I like that. But when I was younger, I was religious. You know, I used to go to church, and Kaká was, uh, he is a devout evangelical Christian. So... I grew up charismatic Presbyterian, so there's there's elements of evang- evangelism in our church, and seeing Kaká being an evangelical Protestant inspired me. I was like, man, th- that's another Christian playing at the highest level, being humble and all those things, and I aspire to be him. I think every Christian player who plays soccer aspire to be like Kaká because he was such a great model example of, I guess, a gentleman player. Yeah, he came off as a very good, you know, as a gentleman and. You know, a good white boy, if you will. <laughs> but what made him great was just elegance. There was elegance in his play. His passing was on point. It, just go YouTube him. Kaka, K-A-K-A. Great name, great player. There was a recent viral video where he was playing pickup soccer in England. <laughs> Such a funny video where he comes on the field. Everyone's freaking out like, holy shit, it's him. And at some point in a pickup game, this one guy is screaming at Kaka. Remind you, Kaká won the World Cup in 2002, won the Champions League with AC Milan, won a bunch of titles, one of the greatest Brazilian players ever, one of them, rather. And in the video, he's running it down the wing, and some guy behind him was like, cut back, Kaká, cut back, cut back. He's asking Kaká for the ball. He's asking for a pass, but like, like almost as if they're equals, if, if you know what I mean, right? But I mean, when you're playing soccer, it doesn't matter. You all have to talk to each other as equals. But he was saying like, you know, pass the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball. And Kaká ignores him rips it with his weaker left foot goes top corner and i remember just watching i'm like oh my god kaka doesn't need you bro he doesn't need anyone he got he's got this he's playing pick up soccer with a bunch of amateurs he doesn't need you he doesn't need to pass the ball to you <laughs> last player park ji sung park ji sung is uh, if you grew up korean he was the gold standard of korean soccer players that was the guy. He was the only one playing at the top level of European soccer. He was playing for Manchester United. His nickname in Manchester is Three Lung Park because he would never stop running. Andrea Pirlo, one of the greatest Italian midfielders, wrote in his autobiography saying that he hated playing against him because he would never leave him alone. Park Ji Sung, what made him so great was, again, work ethic. He just never stopped running. He was always on people's asses. His contribution off the ball was probably the most important thing of constantly man marking the most important players on the opposition because Alex Ferguson Sir Alex Ferguson respected and understood the fact that this guy can man mark anyone for at for the entire day you know if you watch that Manchester United versus Barcelona final Wembley 
first half, Park Ji-sung was doing really well to contain Messi, but Messi being Messi, he's got to break out. But my connection with Park Ji-sung was the fact that he is Korean, that he's playing at a top level, that for a long time, you don't see Asian players playing in Europe. Now you're seeing it more and more and more. But when I was growing up, seeing an Asian player playing in the top European leagues, that was rare. You never saw that. There was only Park Ji-sung and Nakamura that I could think of, and maybe Keisuke Honda in, in Moscow. But that's about it. That's and there's Shinji Kagawa, but that's like a little after. But there were there wasn't a lot when I was a kid. So when seeing Park Ji-sung playing at Manchester United, it's like, oh shit, like that's great. You know, it's like more Korean people. You want to see more of your own be successful. And I think it'll be wrong for me not to give you five honorable mentions. And there, I like these players for the similar reasons as the others. I really liked watching Lampard, Puyol, Ronaldinho, uh, uh, Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, and Pirlo. Those guys were just so much fun to watch. And I also encourage all those to watch those guys too on YouTube or wherever. So yeah, so that being said, just to summarize those five players that I've named, I've liked all those five for these for one particular reason for each. For Zidane, there was just the beauty of the game. Just watching him play was just fantastic. Raul was, you don't have to be strong and physical. There are ways to play the game without being a tall, fast, or great dribbler. You could still play the game and use different strengths. And him, it was his mental strength and reading the game. For Gerard, it was the emotional aspect, the cultural aspect. Just like, this is the kind of guy you would die for because you understand the... I guess the weight of the situation of understanding what it means to play for a player like Gerard and playing for him. You know, he symbolizes Liverpool. He is single-handedly symbolizes Liverpool. And, you know, it's hard. Not a lot of people get to do that. Even Michael Jordan. People say Michael Jordan represents Chicago, but he's not from Chicago. Whereas Steven Gerrard is from Liverpool. And that's, you know, it's an added factor. That's an extra thing, if you will. Kaká, as I said before, as a, you know, similar reason as Zidane, but there's a religious aspect that really influenced me when I used to be a Christian or when I used to go to church. And Park Ji-sung, as a Korean guy, to me, he's still in my mind the gold standard of Korean players. Son Heung-min is, I think Son Heung-min is better than Park Ji-sung, but something about Park Ji-sung is there was just magic. Maybe was, I'm thinking about him nostalgically, but the way he played was not pretty, but it was... It got the job done. But above all, my connection with Park Ji-sung was definitely uh, the Korean connection, the ethnic connection, seeing other Koreans be successful at a high level. It's, you know, growing up, like I said, you would never see that in the Western world. And now we're seeing it more and more. And, you know, it brings me joy. So naming players like Zidane, Raul, Gerard, Kaká, Park Ji-sung, I tried thinking about what are the connections that an average Montrealer would have with these five players. And then... From then on, how does, let's say, a broader audience who may not be from the same country or same cultures as these players, how do they connect with them? How does, let's say, a Rwandan player connect with Steven Gerrard, you know? Or how does a Korean player or, let's say, a Japanese guy in Japan connect with someone like Raul in Spain? You know, these are things that, these are connections that do exist, but why? Other than football, like, why is that there? So let's start with Montrealers. How, this is, again, I'm... These are based on the conversations I had with other Montreal soccer fans and soccer players, but these are also observations that I've made. So a lot of this is anecdotal. I'm not trying to give you like a full answer. I'm just trying to give you an idea. When I started thinking about how Montrealers would connect with these players, I started to realize that what is the most common way that most people get into soccer other than playing? And a lot of it has to do because they had family that watched it, so they'll support these clubs. But I also started to realize there is a... a a good number of people who got into soccer through the video game FIFA, meaning that 
they became fans of some clubs because they used to play them so much on FIFA. One of my friends that I knew, also Bobby Lee with a comedian, they're both Arsenal fans. And they are both Arsenal fans for the same reason, which was because of FIFA. One of my friends, Greg, and Bobby Lee being a famous comedian, what, they, what those two have in common, as I said, is that they both played FIFA and Arsenal beginning with A will be always one of the first teams to come up but at the time Arsenal was also one of the best other than Manchester United Arsenal was the best English Premier League team in like the early early 2000s and I met a lot of guys who've become Arsenal fans because they played them only Arsenal on FIFA because they're like that was the best team everyone was like 80s and 90s and I found that a part I found that a very interesting reason I was like oh I'd never even considered that video games turns turned you to the real thing but besides falling in love with these players by watching them play or uh, playing them on, on video games through the, cl- through the best clubs in, in the FIFA video games. I mean, so, so besides just the typical, super, I, I, I don't want to call it superficial, but just by watching them play or just playing them on video games. Besides those reasons, there are other stories as to why someone might like these players. Granted, the, I feel like the majority, uh, majority of people rather are fans of these players for like very simple reasons, very straightforward, nothing too complicated. And you know, that's I think the majority of people. But someone like me, I like to think about it a lot. Whether it's real or not, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Elements of it, I believe, exist among every soccer player. So that being said, everyone's a fan of a particular soccer player for their own reasons. So for example, I want to start with, let's say, my connection with Park Ji-sung. That was quite self-evident, you know, being a Korean guy, seeing another Korean guy make it up there. You know, it's motivational. And then when I think about Montreal and I think about the ethnic minorities that live here, we have a lot of Algerians and a lot of Moroccans, a lot of Lebanese, a lot of West African and Central African. And we have a lot of Haitians and other Caribbean communities. Those are quite big in Montreal. A lot of it has, well, main, well one of the main reasons has to do with the French connection of you know, being former French colonies. And it's easy for people from, from former French colonies to move to Quebec. You know, that's just the immigration policy we have here, which is great, I think. So my connection with Park Ji-sung is a Korean thing. And then when you see someone like Zidane and knowing that there are this many Algerian people in Montreal, Zidane must be the guy for Algerians here. I'm assuming. Maybe Riyad Mahrez changes that. But I remember growing up, everyone I've met, not just Arab, just everyone I met, Zidane was the shit. You wanted to be Zizou. You know how sometimes you get kids that will play together be like, oh, you know, like I used to do this when I was five, you know, hockey players, right? And then some people say, oh, I'm La Plante, I'm Plante and I'm, uh, I'm the Rocket, I'm Jose Theodore. I used to say I'm Jose Theodore. I don't know why. He was a goalkeeper. And I think <laughs> I noticed these kids when I used to go play pickup soccer, they would do the same thing with soccer players. Oh, I'm, I'm Ronaldo, I'm Messi, I'm this, I'm that. But no one ever said Zidane. And I thought, was it because they didn't know Zidane? But then I realized that I spoke to them. I was like, why aren't any of you Zidane? They were like, no, that's that's OP. They're like, that's not fair. Zidane's too good. And that is legitimately how people feel, that Zidane's almost God level, you know? Like, that's how good he was. Granted, things could change, but that was the impression I got when I when I started playing pickup soccer in high school, is that Zidane is just... not. That's not gold standard. That's, like, diamond standard. But also, consider the fact that Zinedine Zidane is from France. He is Francophone, and Montreal is a French city, a Francophone city. Some people say it's a bilingual city. It is, but... Montreal is truly a French bilingual city. So definitely what makes Zidane even more appealing to Montrealers is the fact that he is that he is francophone, that there is a language of connection already established, that you could listen to his interviews and actually get to know the guy through these interviews, let's say, and really understand who he is and appreciate him even greater. He 
after he retired, he did a charity game in Montreal at the Molson Stadium like a long time ago when I was in high school. And there was a pretty decent attendance. And what I recall, one of my friends went, he said it was like majority Algerians that went to go watch him. And why wouldn't you? If this city has a lot of Algerians and you have one of the greatest Algerian exports, if you will, uh, Zinedine Zidane, why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you want to go see him play? Last summer, I went to go see Real Madrid practice at Saputo Stadium. And I got to see all of them. And it's impressive. And they're very big and strong. But I also got to see them play live in Madrid. It's so cool to see them practice and see the way they do things. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So I say all this. And Montrealers are connecting to these foreign players that come from elsewhere. And we find connections with them outside of soccer. The connections I made are evident. Like, for example, the Zidane example. Algerians connecting with other Algerians. I mean, that's that's normal, right? But then what about... Canadian players and I started thinking about what are the Canadian players coming out when I was growing up I only knew one Canadian player that was good and that was Dwayne D. Rosario but he was famous within MLS and that's that's it I mean there was Craig Forrest uh, he won the gold cup with Canada oh and there's also Owen Hargreaves Owen Hargreaves is sort of he is an interesting character in terms of his life trajectory or story his parents are English from England born in Halifax then they moved to Calgary and he said in an interview that you know they lived in a very British household so they played soccer and at some point in his youth in his teenage years Bayern Munich one the best team in Germany hands down uh, discovered him they scouted him and they brought him back to Germany and they trained him and through their youth academy and Owen Hargreaves ended up playing for Bayern Munich for X amount of years and then he was signed to Manchester United and played for Manchester United for X amount of years. He played for England in the World Cup and in the Euros. And, and that's Owen Hargreaves and he's Canadian, technically, because his parents are English. So he was able to play for an English national team because his parents are you know, from England. And if you listen to his interviews, a lot of Canadians don't even know that he's Canadian because his English is not a Canadian English. But that being said, he just sounds like he has a typical British accent. And when you listen to his interviews, you can't blame Canadians for not knowing he's Canadian. Because like I said, he just sounds like any other British guy. But even in sometimes interviews, he always brings up as a gap, you know, I'm Canadian. But he never played for Team Canada. I think he even said that. He, I think he legit wanted to say is like, why play for Canada? Which is a very real statement to say. Why play for Canada when I have a chance to play for England? Which again, very real statement. My friends would ask me. If the Canadian national team asked you to play for them and the Korean national team asked you to play for them, who would you choose? I'd choose Korea for sure because Korea is guaranteed to go to the World Cup. But that doesn't mean I like that decision. I want to play for Canada, except, you know, it's not good. And some people would say, well, if you leave Canada to go play for Korea, you're not helping, which is also true. But also, there's not a lot of money being pumped into the Canadian national team, so it's hard for people to have an incentive to go. But things are changing now. You're seeing new talent coming up that they could play for other countries, but they decided to play for Canada. For example, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. Perfect example. Jonathan David, I looked him up. His parents are Haitian, so he could play for Haiti. He was born in New York City, so he could have been playing for the United States. But he moved to Ottawa and decided to play for the Canadian national team. He could have played for the U.S. team. They... they do they need a striker now? I don't think so. I mean, they're kind of stacked. But I'm just glad that this guy decided to play for Canada because he is a talent. I, it's still young, still early. He's still developing. There's still much to see. And the same thing with Alfonso Davies. But what makes Alfonso Davies special is that he's playing. He's going through the own Hargreaves trajectory. He got scouted by Bayern Munich when he was like 16, 17. And then he went to their youth academy when he was 18. 
He's won a Champions League already. He's already won a Champions League with Bayern Munich in his second year there. Like this, if you watch, if you watch him play, he's just so good. He plays left back, but he could play left wing or right wing. I've seen him play further up in MLS. But last year, he was voted, you know, best rookie defender of the year in Germany, and like that says a lot about Alfonso Davies. And he had the chance, him being a refugee originally, he could have played for Liberia or Ghana, but he played for Canada. And I, I just thought that's amazing. You know, that's great. And going back to that question, would you play for Korea and Canada? I think Alfonso Davies answered that question. He was like, I'm going to play for the country that's given me a home. And part of me thought about that. I was like, you know what? That shifts my answer. I was like, yeah. If, I, if someone asked me that question today, I would say, I'll play for Canada. And the cynical, my cynical friends would say, well, you're saying that because uh, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies are on that team now and Samuel Piet is on that team now. You want to be on that team. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. But that's incentive. And when you see these young Canadian players become successful and getting recognition and notoriety, other young Canadians want to follow through and other young Canadians won't shove aside MLS as like, oh, that's stupid. Hopefully, see MLS as a league that is an important stepping stone to get to a bigger level that you have to start at MLS and then you can move on. If you're not good enough in MLS, I'm sorry, honey, you're not good enough for European soccer. It is what it is. And that's my hope. And my hope is for the game, not just to grow in Montreal, but to grow in Canada and see it develop and for us to actually be competitive against the United States. That's step one, be competitive against the United States. I would like to see that. And I think we're slowly heading there, but it will be a slow progress. So along with Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies as a current example of bright young Canadian talents, I think it'd be wrong for me not to mention the other Canadian talents that are making their name within MLS, that are gaining notoriety. I'm the one that wants to support domestic leagues. So a lot of this time in this podcast, I will talk about MLS every so often. If you're not into it, I don't care because it's my podcast. <laughs> but it, I again, it's important to mention these names because... These guys are also leading the way for new players to come through. I really want to see Canada become a competitive country in the World Cup stage or an international stage. There are players like Samuel Piet from Repartigny right outside of Montreal. You know, he's he, the impacts love him. The, the impact fans absolutely love him because he is a local. He's still a young guy, 25, 26 or something. But it's a it's been a long time since we've seen, you know, Quebecois players play at the professional level. If if we've even seen that at this level, to be honest. But now we're seeing someone like Piet who is getting notoriety within the league. So you have players like Samir Piet, uh, Jonathan Osorio, and Lucas Cavallini. I mean, I mean, Lucas Cavallini has been probably having a rough season lately, but it's these are still names that will be leading Canada in the near, in the next uh, decade or so. You know and and I think these are real good talents, and I hope more players are produced of this caliber, of higher caliber than these guys, because I do want to see us get better and better and better. And I think these three players, Cavallini, Osorio, and Piet, are the important foundational steps for young Canadian talents to go up and see them and say, that's a realistic possibility that we could reach. I could even probably get better than them and get to the level of Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, or even Owen Hargreaves, if you want to put them up there. But... To me, now I see there are steps. There are steps to professionalism for young Canadian players that this is now a reality. When I was a kid, all of this was not real. Like, to me, it was not a conceptual, a real conceptual idea. Becoming a Montreal Canadiens player seems more realistic because the steps are there. Was it an expensive step? Yes. Was there, is there racism in the selection of professional hockey players? Yes, there is. I'm not, no one's denying that. But 
it's not easy, especially hockey in Montreal. It's not easy, but you have soccer now that feels like an open market. And that's why I am so optimistic about soccer in Montreal in the future because I think great things will happen. I have no choice but to be optimistic. If I'm going to be pessimistic about soccer in Montreal, then I might as well give up my season ticket to the impact. So at this point in the podcast, some of you are asking, okay, so what is this to do with traveling and being a pilgrim and visiting all these great stadiums abroad? The important thing about pilgrimage, for especially for I've seen a lot of Muslims prepare for you know preparing Hajj and going to Mecca for their you know for the pilgrimage. A lot of those pilgrimage requires a lot of time of inner preparation. You have to prepare at home and understand yourself before you go on this pilgrimage. Understand what are you going there for, or what you are about to embark on, and it's 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 heavy internal religious preparation for for pilgrimages because you need to prepare yourself as you do these things that's how i approach with soccer is that how can i truly enjoy the game if i cannot truly enjoy the game at home how can i say i'm a true soccer fan if i only watch english soccer but i don't even watch canadian or north american soccer so i do want to end this episode saying we all have dreams we all come from somewhere and we all dream about becoming professionals and we often see these foreign talents being the standard or a role model for us to be a good soccer player a great soccer player and I think now we're approaching a time, especially as Canadians, that we're now seeing more local talent coming up and becoming those role models for us. Because the truth is, for a lot of Montrealers, they connect with hockey better because all of their heroes are from the city. Now in Montreal, that if we have more homegrown players and more homegrown Canadian talent coming through and becoming successful, becoming famous even, that will greatly influence young Canadian players to seek out professionalism. But not just seek out professionalism, but finally, not, but finally actually having a talent that's of your city that's closer to you culturally and to base your game around someone who was once your neighbor and not some millionaire that lives across the ocean. So as I said, pilgrimages start at home. And that's why this season we're going to start at home and then we're going to build out to the world. So again, thanks for listening to Soccer Pilgrim. Next episode, I'll be talking a little more about local soccer, specifically with the Montreal Impact. Once again, my name is Jason Kim, and this is Soccer Pilgrim. Thanks for listening.